Uh, okay, okay, um, now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Thank you. Thanks, Naria. So... Good morning. As I said, my name is Ryan, and this morning we're going to check out this little tiny passage. It's pretty well loaded from James. So Pathway has this year just been doing a thing called the Preacher's Workshop. Uh, each person who attended was given a little Bible passage uh, to pull apart and research in order to uh, either give a sermon, uh, write down some thoughts on it, a Bible study or some sort of devotion, whatever. And this little passage was given to me. So my small group, sorry guys, you've already heard this, this abbreviated version of this a little while ago, and they gave me some feedback on it to make it a little better. Now this morning we're going to dive into it once more. So please feel free, like my small group, to continue giving feedback as there is always opportunity to improve and do better for the glory of God. Anyways, that's enough intro. Let me pray and then we'll dive in. Lord, what a privilege it is to dive into your word freely and openly. I have an idea of where this sermon will go. I have plans and some sort of direction in place for the next 20 or so minutes. But God, as the passage says, if it is your will, which I think it is, would you lead us now as we look at this passage? Would your words be heard and not mine? Lord, take this time and use it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not keen to talk about COVID. It has been talked about way too much in society these past years and months. However, I'd like to use COVID as an example, as it seems the obvious choice. It brings the issue of control and planning to the surface so quickly and relevantly. We have all been affected by COVID, right? We might have had travel plans cancelled thanks to border closures, work scheduling messed up due to staff in isolation, Birthday parties, social gatherings missed, funerals with only three people allowed to attend, families prevented from seeing one another, weddings being cancelled with next to no notice, Christmas flopped. I could go on all day. But all these scenarios beg the question, is there anything that we truly control? Now you might think you controlled your car as you drove here this morning, but did you really? Could you control something falling off the back of a truck, for example, and blowing out one of your tyres, causing you to spear off the road? And some people, by some sort of miracle, think they can control their dog. <laughs> I haven't got a hope with mine, but I am told that some people are able to command their dog to do stuff, sit, shake, roll over, and the dog will listen. But can you stop your dog sniffing that snake that's just paid him or her a visit and stopping it getting bitten on the nose and dying? What about what we eat, our diet? I would argue that you had no control over the part of the world you are born into. Those living in abject poverty have no control over what is put on their dinner plate, if anything is at all. 
is only because of where we live and in the society in which we think we have uh, the society in which we live that we think we have any say about what we should or shouldn't eat. Okay, so you might think I'm a bit of a pessimist. Allow me to share one more thing we have no control over. Our day. We probably expect to set our alarms tonight in order to wake up, to kick off the new working week, uh, and maybe the next school holiday program or whatever you've got planned for the week. So an alarm will probably go. We've probably set that already. We probably have some idea of what's going to happen tomorrow or even maybe this afternoon, right? If you didn't think I was a pessimist before, you will now, who is to say your heart could take its next beat? It certainly isn't my own conscious decision in my mind telling my heart to beat. It just does it by itself. I don't control it. It just happens. My point is, we can easily think we're in control of our car, the dog, our diet, or even our overfilled schedules. But do we really? What is it that we do actually control then? I think we used to go about life thinking we had our plans and not much really changed them. But more recently, COVID pretty clearly showed us that what we do actually control is not much. Countless funerals, weddings, concerts, gatherings, travel plans were thrown out the window. I actually struggle to think of anything that I truly control. So as we look at today's passage, just keep that in mind. Now, I'd suggest that we can pretty quickly and pretty easily think that we're important and in charge of things, right? Now, at the risk of bringing up sad or bad memories, I suspect we all know of someone or have heard of someone who suddenly died completely unexpectedly, completely out of the blue and absolutely tragic. Maybe it was someone close to you or maybe a friend of a friend. My point is, life is fleeting or as James puts it, it is a miss. So easily we can forget just how fleeting life can be. We all assume we'll be around tomorrow or next week or even next year, right? Look at what today's text tells us. What does it say life is in verse 14? The text says it about as clearly as can be said. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now I can think of a few times in my life when someone I knew personally unexpectedly died. It was a massive shock to me each time. These guys were young and in the prime of their lives and due to some very unfortunate circumstances, their life ended very suddenly. One of my good mates from school, called Leo, fell through the roof of the Dora Hope Church in Launceston probably 10 years ago. He wasn't meant to be up there and all that, but he fell to his death. And to this day, I remember where I was and what I was doing when I heard the news. It shocked me. Now, this is a horrible topic to chat about, and I don't want to drag us through death and tragedy, but life is exactly as the text says. It is a mist. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. And can easily, we can easily go about life like the mist doesn't apply to us, to me, to you. Why are we talking about death? Well, let's look at why James, a relative of Jesus, and probably actually even Jesus' brother. So why did James talk about life and death? In verse 13, he talks about making plans and how arrogant it can be to think we are in control. Sort of saying, do you really think you can count on your own abilities, skills and enthusiasm to get what you want done? Life is a mist. Life is short. You have no idea what is coming your way tomorrow. How can you possibly think you have it figured out? 
That's from the Ryan paraphrase, by the way. We have all made plans in life, right? I bet you have plans to get out of bed tomorrow. Plans for things you need to do the rest of the week, maybe even for the weekend. Humans tend to be planners. However, sitting back and thinking, I could be dead next year, next week or tomorrow, why bother planning for anything? That is not useful, nor is it what this passage is talking about. Look at the reasons James states for the justification of the people's plans. It says to do business and make money. Do you think these plans are considering what God wants? If we're not meant to make our own plans, what should we do instead? Sit around and do nothing with life? Not at all. Let's keep this in mind. Put a pin in that. Keep this in mind as we move to the next point. Is it as simple as saying the magic words? So at a glance, it can almost seem as if all we need to do is say, if it is the Lord's will, if we say these words, we can do whatever we want. Sorry, but no. I'll just read verse 15 and 16 again. It says, Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So the words, as it is, in verse 16, are referring to the way things are currently done, as was described in the beginning of the text. People making plans to do what they like, to make money, develop their business, with no consideration for what God wants them to do. They care only about what they want in life. They're boasting in their arrogant schemes, which James calls downright evil. So, by saying the magic words, can we continue to scheme and plan? No. No, we can't just say, if the Lord wills it, I will insert desire here. Absolutely not. Giving only lip service to God is not okay. It's hypocritical. And James calls this attitude of arrogance and boasting evil. All throughout the Bible, there is teaching and examples of hypocritical behaviour. Isaiah 29 is a confronting bit of scripture. Let me read part of it. So verse 13 says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Honouring God with only our lips shows where our hearts truly are. Saying the magic words and doing what we want is clearly not honouring and submitting to God's plan. That's commonly called lip service and James says it's evil. How then do we do more than just honour God with our lips? I can simply say I love going for a drive. I have a car in the shed, it's ready to go, has a full tank of fuel, the tyres are even pumped up and it's got a charged battery. I can say I love driving all that I want. If I never actually go for a drive, though, it doesn't make my argument particularly convincing, does it? I need to get in the car, to try it out, to go down the road, to get those tyres howling. We need to actually do it, not just talk about doing it. Which, if James hasn't made crystal clear enough yet, he gives us verse 17, just to send it home, which leads us into the next point. Doing what we want over what God wants is sin. So verse 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Now I did wonder when I first read this passage, why is this just sort of tacked on the end of this paragraph? It seemed a little out of place for me, but it didn't take much thinking or reading to figure out what it's all about, particularly in light of what we've just talked about. That placement of the word then links it back to what was previously written. 
Therefore, knowing God's will and refusing to submit to it is a sin. Make sense? So, we have an idea of what we'd like to do. A plan we'd like to put in place. Maybe a particular job opportunity has presented itself. Maybe some difficult financial decisions need to be made. Maybe you're trying to work out a tricky or romantic, or maybe both, relationship. Whatever we are faced with, big or small, we want to consider God's plan, right? So we want to ask God how to do life. We can spend a lot of time asking, for God, asking God for stuff, asking him for direction, asking for help, asking for healing, whatever. Do we then stop and actually wait for him to respond? When asking about that job opportunity, do you actually give God time to respond? I can, dare I say it, we can, so easily throw up a quick prayer to God, asking for what he wants to do, only to continue on the path that we have already chosen, by rushing on ahead without even considering God's response. Perhaps like an apprentice asking the tradesman how to roof a house, only to rush off and do what they want before the trader can even open their mouth and respond to the question. Or perhaps, this is worse still, maybe we do pray, God responds, and we still do what we want. Think again about that apprentice asking the tradesman how to go about roofing a house. The apprentice asks how to do it. The trader then goes on explaining how to roof the house. You should do this, you should do this. And the young apprentice listens and then goes, nah, I'll do it my own way, thanks. That, friends, is foolishness and it's incredibly rude. I think we can so easily tend to either not give God the time to respond or if we do stop long enough to listen, we still do what we want. Basically, knowing and submitting to God's will is really hard. Can you relate to either of both of these scenarios with the apprentice and the tradesman? I sure can. In the end, I think it all comes down to whether or not we actually want to know God's will. If you have a burning desire to know something from someone, you will seek out an answer. You wouldn't just ask and not care if they didn't respond or not, or if they did respond, just disregard it. I think the same can be said about our relationship with God. How much do you care about his plan for your life? So we've talked about how life is fleeting. It's a mist, as we have no idea what tomorrow brings. Therefore, we can hardly make any real plans with full confidence in our own ability or situation. We know it's much more than just a few words that we, that we must say before the sentence that gives us the right to go about life and the decisions we make. God wants more and God deserves more than lip service. We know that it's wrong and evil and sinful to know God's will and then turn our backs on it and do what we want. So where does all this leave us? I think this passage leads us to be reminded in a life of complete surrender to God. <coughs> and to his will and his purposes. This does not mean just throwing your arms up in the air and giving up on planning anything or any, anything or everything, or just sort of going with the flow and seeing what happens, as this rarely ends up going well. We are instead to be intentional in our decisions, but not intent on getting our way, but God's. We should be reminded of and admit that we do not know what's coming tomorrow or what is coming our way in the future at all. We can and should trust God to lead and guide us through thick and thin, through the big decisions and the everyday ones. 
And this passage serves as a good reminder to allow him to speak into our lives, into all situations. Now that's all well and good, Ryan, you might say, but what on earth does it actually look like? I think it looks like someone wrestling with a decision and asking others for input and prayer before making up their mind. It looks like time spent thinking things through. Introverts, you go at this task alone, maybe with a journal and a pen. Whereas extroverts, you get up on the rooftops and shout it to the masses. If you're an ambivert, you do some sort of weird blend of both. It looks like getting to know God and what he is like. And if you're not sure, it means you will do your best to find out by chatting about it with godly men and women in your life, praying about it, and getting into the book that tells us about him, the Bible. It looks like humble surrender to our own desires. Maybe we don't need that new gadget to look cool or to fit in, but rather someone else can benefit from that extra overtime money you spent. Who knows what it will look like for you, as it's different for every person hearing this today. But I think it can be summed up in one question. Do you, or will you, consider God's plans above your own? So just to nail this down just a little bit further, let's take a look at Pathway. I often rave about the past 10 years. We've seen some incredible stuff happen here. From being pastorless and nearly shutting it down to what we see and experience today. Pathway House, the Shed and countless ministries that happen each week that are all part of this church. Now sure, we have had and do have gifted leaders who make good decisions and plans to move forward. But so often it was put to God in prayer, in humble submission to him and his plan for Pathway. Pathway genuinely sought God on a bunch of occasions and still continues to do this. Think about it. How many prayer meetings and discussions have been had the past 10 years regarding the way forward for Pathway? Don't just think of church here on a Sunday, but think of the bus, the hub, Pathway House, and the shed, and all our small groups, and all the other things that go on as well in all of this. Ideas were presented to Pathway. What did we do? We prayed and considered God's plan, not our own. Yes, it's difficult and not always clear-cut. Yes, it can take a long time to work out God's plan. And yep, we might have got some stuff wrong. But look at the fruit. No one could have planned what is happening at Pathway House today, nor the shed, let alone the church. And that's because God did it, not us. So with a track record like he has, who better to trust with our life than the God who designed it? Who better to lead us than the God who is ruler of all? Who better to follow than the God who loved us so much that he went to the cross for us? We are in good hands. Our lives are in good hands. How about we continue to submit to him and his will for us? To his plan and not ours. Like we have just talked about with his plans for Pathway, he has more in store for you than you could ever imagine. Let us humbly submit and consider God's plan above our own. Let's pray. God, we are grateful our life and plans are not up to us, but you. Lord, we want to acknowledge your plans are greater, huger and better than our own. There is no one better to handle it than you, God. We're sorry for taking the wheel and thinking we can do life by ourselves. We want to humbly return to you and your plan for our life. It is far better than ours.
Would you help us do this, God? Life is hard and we can so easily forget you and your plans. Give us patient and humble hearts, willing to wait and listen to what, is, what it is you have to say to us as we do life here on earth. Thanks for all you do for us, God. Thanks for who you are and thanks that we can seek you anytime, anywhere and you listen. God, you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, I believe in a song.